Hello and welcome back to It's Your Money, the Mayor Brownsword podcast, the sonic screwdriver of personal finance, where we help you unlock hidden secrets to help your money work harder for you. I'm Andrew Harrison, here as ever with Andy Mayer. All right, Andy, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you, Andrew. Apart from football, I'm doing great. Well, you know, it's always the same, isn't it? They're going to feel like they're listening to the same episode over and again. Football. <laughs> football will be the death of you. We had an excellent time with some of the clients at your Meet the Manager event, didn't we, in London in, uh, in January? Yeah, I thought it was great. The feedback about yourself asking the questions to the excellent Mike Coop was outstanding. And I think people got a lot from it. And the beer range was also very good. So it was a really good night. And we're doing them in Stoke-on-Trent in March and doing another one in Stratford-upon-Avon in April. There you go. We had to slightly shout at the last one to drown out the people downstairs, but that's okay. You've got to project on these things. Uh, We have a fantastic special guest on today's podcast. Carl Richards is an actual financial guru. He's a certified financial planner, a regular on Marketplace Money, Oprah.com and Forbes.com. And he's the creator of the Sketch Guy column, which you may have seen. It appeared weekly for a decade in the New York Times. The thing with the Sketch Guy column is it makes sense of the confusing world of finance through little napkin sketches that even a fool like me can understand. And for the first time in visual podcasting, he's going to start talking (laughs) us through it. Hello, Carl. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Hi, Andy. How are you and where are you? Uh, I'm fantastic. Um, We've had a great winter. I live in Park City, Utah, up in the mountains, and I ski as often as I can, two or three times a week, and we've had a great winter so far, so that means I'm good. Fantastic. So tell us about how the sketch guy came about. I mean, have you always used very simple little sketches to make sense of very, very complicated things? No, actually. Like, it's a kind of a funny story. I had no... I wasn't a doodler in in school. I, I, I had no art background. I think I took a pottery class when I was eight. Um... It was just, I was, I was sitting in front of clients and they were trying to make a very important decision. And I I was explaining a concept and I thought I was pretty good at explaining things. And I was just getting blank stares and I I, I knew how smart they were. So it, it dawned on me that this was my problem. And out of sort of a act of desperation, I stood up at the whiteboard that was in this office I was using. I'd never used it before. I don't think anybody ever used it before. And I, I drew some circles. I don't even recall what it was, but I just know it was like circles and a square and an arrow. And I remember them. I actually remember who the clients were. Remember them saying, Oh, I get it now. And (laughs) it was like that feeling that I was like, Oh, that's super fascinating. Like, how do we take this thing that feels unapproachable and complex and reduce it down to make some editorial decisions, which I sometimes get wrong, but make Mm -hmm. some editorial decisions to say, no, this is the thing that matters. And you're a fan of uh, sketch guy sketching. What, What is it that you enjoy about it? What I think attracts me is I've always been, because my first job was as a teacher and I was a PE teacher and they told us basically show what you want to do and let the kids have a go at it so they could actually visualize it. And our world is so full of documents and meaningless words to a lot of people that when you can sketch it out the way Carl does, it just mm. changes people's understanding. And as you know, Andrew, we've been working together 20 years. I've always used whiteboards and flip charts so when I saw Carl's stuff, it was just revolutionary to me. It was real big help. Yeah. Mm. My personal favorites are the Venn diagram. And one circle says things that matter. And the other says things you can control. And the bit in the middle says what you should focus on. And it's a tiny little sliver. Like, yes, I get that. I will now dump all the things I can't control out of my mind. I also particularly liked the wave, which has greed buy at the top and fear sell at the bottom. And it says repeat until broke. 
I thought I can relate. I can relate to that very much. So we're going to get into some of these uh, these these uh, cartoon sketch diagrams uh, around the theme of what Carl calls the behavior gap. Carl, what's the behavior gap? Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting question. The short answer is um, it dawned on me really early in my career when I was heavily focused on the investment part of somebody's financial picture that um, we were all focused. We thought, well. It dawned on me that there is a difference between an investment's return mm-hmm. and the return that an investor gets. And if if you were to, I mean, if we were just to describe that real quick, if you were to open the newspaper and you saw an advertisement for a, a, a mutual fund or an investment that said it, it had received, a, it had earned a 10% return per year for the last 10 years. Well, that's the investment return. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, humans don't, I mean, who buys long-term investments and holds them for the long term? That would be silly. You know, instead, we're sort of <laughs> running around trying to find what we often call in the industry the hot dot, like what's performing well now. And that's a well-intentioned behavior, right? Like as an investor, you think that's what you should do. It's what the financial pornography network and the whole media circus has trained us to do, right? Like run around, look for the hot thing, listen to your friend at the club, ask the, you know, whatever. And then, so it's well-intentioned. It's actually yeah. what you think you're supposed to do, and it leads to a suboptimal result. So it turns out often in individual investors underperform the, the very investments they owned during the period because they're changing in and out of them. Mm-hmm. And so that was the original version of the behavior gap. And then I've broadened it to just mean any well-intentioned behavior that's producing a suboptimal result. Well, one of those sketches is uh, it has a, a it's like a bar chart. And there's a huge tall bar on the left that says behavior and a much, but probably half the size bar to the right that says everything else. Yeah. It's like your behavior is twice as important as everything else. Factors that drive lifetime returns. What? Why is that? I mean, I think you annotated it by saying you could have the greatest portfolio ever created, but one poor behavioral mistake, a decade, and you might as well have just kept your money in the bank. Yeah, it's it's so interesting. I mean, you there's such a hyper focus on the you know arguing over whether we should take a train an automobile or an airplane on a trip and we haven't ever decided where we're we haven't decided where we're going yet Mm -hmm. and i think this focus on like building the perfect portfolio or finding the perfect investment while it's important of course it's important you can build the best portfolio ever created right and then one time i really honestly think it's a decade but maybe it's one time every three to five years Things get scary. Any portfolio that's diversified. So if you're diversified, you by definition will always own some things you're really happy about. Mm-hmm. You'll own some things that you're, ah, it's fine. And you'll own some things that you're really disappointed in. And you, the problem is they change. And so if you're always reacting to those, to those um, emotions and what you see on the TV and what you hear on the radio and all of that stuff, you're going to end up making these mistakes. And it only takes one mistake. Like, one mistake a decade and you may as well have just you know bought kept them i mean keeping it under the mattress is a bit of an exaggeration of course to make a point but it's it's the portfolio matters the art sorry the science of portfolio construction matters a lot but it only matters to the degree that it influences your ability to stick with it for a long mm-hmm. time right yeah. Well, there's uh, another uh, uh, sketch from the Behavior Gap series 
um, which is it, it's basically it's either a bar chart where both sides are equal or it's two doors. And on the front of one, it says my income versus my enough. Yeah. And it's like, so are, are, are we looking at uh, these two things are equal or are we looking at these are two doorways, Carl? <laughs> yeah, I've never thought about the main doors, but yeah, it's a it's a bar chart. And the fact that you asked that question means I need to do a little work clarifying that a bit. But, <laughs> but, but, yeah the the idea there is that um, if you're focused on getting like when my income reaches X, I'll finally have enough. Mm. If that's the thing you're saying to yourself, you'll never have enough, right? My, it, 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 having enough is actually not, and I'm I'm talking above a certain you know almost poverty level. Having yeah. enough is not a financial problem, right? And so if we can if we can realize that the key to having enough is to living on the amounts you already have, right? Yeah. That's the key spot to be. Yeah. I, th- I think in the annotation to that, you said a friend of mine and her siblings get together each year to have a W-2 derby. Now, I'm not entirely sure what a W-2 is, but I'm guessing it's an investment of some sort. No, it's 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 the in, it's the statement you submit to the United States okay. Tax Revenue Service that says how much you made. So basically think an income, an income derby. They yeah, compare so, their incomes. Right. So they're basically measuring how much they earned to see who was the biggest. And yeah. uh, as you point out, that's not so subtle. I think if I tried... I, th- I think any British person would be mortally embarrassed to do that. Never mind uh, sure. want to do it for a com- a competitive thing um, every every year. Tell us tell us why that's a bad idea. Yeah, I, look, I mean, it's pretty clear the old saying's true: comparison is the thief of joy. And and it you know it's a particular challenge now because when I grew up, um, I was comparing myself to my buddies in the neighborhood. You know, I, I might have wanted a slightly better bike because somebody had a slightly better bike, but I didn't want an airplane. I didn't know I want, yeah. I didn't know I was supposed to want an airplane. And now I do. Right. Do and, <laughs> well, of course, of, co- of course, like my kids see on Instagram, you know, somebody traveling private and they ask me about, it. so all I'm saying is our comparison set, we're going to be yeah. really careful with our comparison set. And so, so comparing yourself, yeah, it's, it's just a thief of joy. It's no good. And I would, I actually, I love the idea of like, carefully cultivating your comparison set and it is sneaky and look at i spent a year in london i i you you guys may never talk about it out mm. loud but i know you're doing the same thing right like yeah we've just got codes we've just got secret codes in britain uh, we just don't yeah we, we we kind of transmit it sort of telepathically rather than whacking the numbers on the table but it is definitely there and it is invidious sure. you're absolutely right yeah it's i mean it's more insidious it's insidious like adults we all say like peer pressures for kids yeah like oh how cute the little kids comparing themselves but then don't tell me you didn't notice the new car that the neighbor got and you may not have thought like i need to keep up with them you probably didn't because you know better keeping up with the joneses in america that's silly but you probably did think huh that's kind of nice yeah and there it starts right and 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 so we just have to protect against that. We have to we have to be aware that that thing happens to all humans. And we have to protect against it. I've got a friend who literally lives next door to Jay Z and Beyonce, and he does not compare himself to them. And I think that's great. Yeah, he compares himself to me, which is much more healthy. Yeah. Um, but some of that, you know, may not be direct comparison, but some of that still rubs off on us. Yeah. Some of that still rubs off on us, like just thinking like, oh, look how much they have. Like it just, it's just, it's harder. And if you think you're immune to this, you probably have it worse. Oh, because God. I, I think like 
Mimetic Desire and Luke Burgess's work, his book Wanting is really, really good about this. Like we just are giant mimic machines. We don't know what we want. From the youngest age, we look to other people to see what we want. Yeah. So I think it's a real challenge. I want to ask you about another of the behavior gap uh, sketches. And this is a seesaw. Listeners, envisage a seesaw. It's tilted up to the right. At the left, which is at the bottom, it says the present. And up in the air on the right, it says the future. Uh, the present is weighing more heavily than the future. Um, Carl, what's, what's going on here? You, you say every moment you spend thinking about the future, you're making a trade-off. When you're worrying about the future, you're missing a chance to have a meaningful conversation with your spouse or sit on the hammock and watch the sunset with your daughter. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that, 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 that's, I was just trying to get at the challenge that we face. Look, of course, thinking about the future is important, right? Mm. And of course, planning. I don't know to the degree that it is, but I, I, I could buy the idea that having a plan for the future is important. But I just want to take it off as soon as I think of it as a hat. Like, in fact, I love the idea of like having a financial planning hat and make it as ugly as possible so you don't want to wear it very often. <laughs> but just, you know, maybe you want to put that on once a quarter. Yes. And see what's going on and understand everything. And then you want to take it off as quick as possible and put it in the drawer because what's the point? Right, like you're 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 missing the opportunity to coach your daughter's football team because you're worried about getting the overtime. You know, like it's the point is everything we have and everything that matters always happens in the present. Yes, and planning is also important. So those are two competing truths. I think we have to hold in our and we're just we just need to be aware of them. It's interesting that we we kind of criticize people for living in the past, but you never say oh, that guy lives in the future. What an idiot. But that's kind of what you're saying, that like if you're always filling your mind with what might happen tomorrow, you're missing the things that make now worth living. Yeah, and especially I, I think like problems are very interesting. I mean, a problem is just a label we give to a thing that may or may not be trouble in the future, right? I, I can't remember if it was Mark Twain or who it was that said, I've had I've had a lot of problems in my life and some of them came true. <laughs> you know, and so we spend so much time worried about the thing in the future yeah. that most often doesn't even happen, to be honest. And in the meantime, we miss the stuff now. Yeah, I can also refer you to Homer Simpson. It's a Christ-a-tunacy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there you go. Let's move on to another one. And I think we, we should find a way of getting these cartoons to the listeners, shouldn't we, Andy? We'll either put them on the mail. Yeah, if Carl's like okay with it, we're, some of the ones we've discussed, we're going to put it out when we send the podcast sure. out, if that's okay, yeah, Carl. Yeah, of course. Uh, and this one, I, I like this one. It's a, it's like a kind of, it's like a string of spaghetti that's all tangled. Mm. And it begins with micro action. And we follow the line through this tangled path uh, to positive outcome, then more tangled, then positive outcome, then more tangle, and finally positive outcome. To me, what this is saying is you can't actually control a straight line to what you want, but you can at least push it in the right direction because by roots that you do not really understand, you might actually get there. Am I getting it right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the emphasis there for me was um, that I, I have a heavy bias towards action. You know, so if I'm not sure about something, I'm going to do some analysis. I'm going to think about it. Which school should I go to? You know, should I start this business? Is this a good idea? Should I write another book? I'm going to think about it a little bit, but then I'm going to try and find what's the smallest step I could take. Because when I take a small step, 
new information will show up. Mm-hmm. And I'm never quite sure about what the information will be, which is the tangled, you know, little line there. But normally, as I take a small step, new the new information that shows up helps me adjust course and get mm-hmm. closer. So it's it's a lot like I mean, I think financial planning, business planning, business plans, life plans, your goals for next month, all of these things are just guesses. Yeah. And once we have a guess plant like almost like a stake planted in the ground out there i want to go that direction i think next month i'd really like to take a trip here well you're going to start planning the trip what's mm-hmm. the smallest thing i could learn to plan oh i didn't realize it would be that expensive maybe i'll go here so that new information shows up so when in doubt take a little action yeah i think what you said is when tackling big audacious goals you don't need big audacious actions all you need is the contagious magic of micro actions because micro actions spread and this reminded me, I was today, because I know a lot, lot of people who write for a living, and one of one of my uh, friends was kind of blocked with writing the thing he's trying to write. And he was just saying, the most important thing is to write something, anything, even if it's rubbish. If it's rubbish, you can improve it. If it doesn't exist, there's nothing to improve. Yeah. You know, that idea, just do something. I completely agree. And I, I, I also love that micro actions and my definition of a micro action is something that's so small that it almost doesn't even feel like it's worth doing mm-hmm. there's uh, bj fogg at stanford his his book tiny habits he says look if you want to create a habit of flossing your teeth don't instead create a habit of flossing one tooth <laughs> he's like you know because the chances of you just doing one pretty low so i love the idea of like micro action if I'm nervous about something, I just think always like make it smaller because a micro action is micro scary, right? Yes. Like the consequences are way low. So I, I I love micro actions. It's my favorite thing. I'm going to be deploying this. And when my wife says, have you done the dishes? I'm going to say, <laughs> I did a dish. Yeah. And yeah, we'll see how far great. that gets me. It's a great idea. I think that's a really great idea. Seriously, I did like your, uh, one of the things you suggested around this was a great way to get into the habit of going to the gym a lot is just to put on your gym clothes in the morning you may or may not go but at least you'll be a step closer to going to the gym because what most of us do including me at one time was take out a year's subscription to a gym near work and then never go yeah and i spent a lot of money on this and didn't get any fitter whereas if i'd actually put the running shoes on and the shorts it might have made me go to the flipping place yeah i think you can make it even smaller right how about you just set out your gym clothes the night before like on the, idea. Fl- on the floor in the closet, you'll trip over them. Like, you know, you walk in, you see them. Like, and, and I've had, I've had this happen so many times. I never feel like going to the gym. I mean, I go often, but I never <laughs> feel like going. And so I yeah. figured out like, well, okay, just put your clothes on. Ah, you got your clothes on. Why not put the shoes on? Oh, you got the shoes on. This happens a lot traveling. I'll think, oh, I'll just go down to the gym and I'll just sit yeah. on the exercise bike for five minutes and move my legs around. Oh, I'm here. You know, like it just keeps it just micro actions keep keep compounding. So you're saying to yourself, it's actually more effort to take these gym clothes off than it is to go and uh, do half an hour on the bike. Yeah, it just starts to seem silly. You're sort of like, well, I'm here. I may as well. Like, I'll just I'll just move a little bit. Oh, next thing you know, you're doing the whole exercise program. And then what's interesting is then at breakfast. While traveling, you know, you you feel a little better, like I eat a little better. Oh, that's interesting. And then I noticed I was giving a a talk at a big conference. The talk went a little better. Well, why? Because I put on my, I set my gym clothes out the night before. 
That's it. Andy, what's the metaphorical application of setting out your gym clothes when it comes to money? I think it's like everything. You just start, if you've only got a pound to spare or a dollar to spare, you start little and just do it over a longer period of time and just accept you've started. And it's some of the hardest things, I think, for people with financial planning is just to get started. It's like Carl said, some people think you have to use a thousand pound a month or a thousand pound a day to use a financial planner. Sometimes you just get started with a pound a day. And it's those incremental changes that 20, 30 years later, when people come to retire, they're the big moments. And it is the small changes at the start. We've got a couple more illustrations just to quickly talk about, Carl. One is uh, in a picture frame. This is the words, no shame, no blame. (laughs) Shame Shame and blame says you did a dumb thing. Responsibility and accountability says that was dumb. It's not actually personally your fault. Tell us about this one. Yeah, so I I feel like with money, there's, especially among couples, there's so much shame and blame, you know, like, and and I could, I mean, I'll tell you, uh, we, when we first thought about moving back to my hometown of Park City, Utah, we put a deposit down on a piece of land. And then we made after, you know, we had like a month of due diligence time before we had to decide. And we, after doing the due diligence, we realized we just, it was a great deal on a great piece of land, but we didn't have the money. So we, we had to, we had to cancel the deal. 10 years later, when we did move back, that piece of property borders the park that my kids all played football and lacrosse at. So I got to see it. Look, it was so nice that I got to see it (laughs) two or three times a week (laughs) and see that that piece of property is worth 10 times what we had had it under contract for. Well, there was a number of conversations where I felt really bad about that. You know, my wife and I would talk about it and I would feel shame. And I don't think she did, but she would have, it would have been easy for her to slip into blaming me for that. Like, hey, you made that decision. That was a bad decision. I don't think she did, but it would have been easy. And I saw this with clients a lot. Shame and blame play no role, no productive role in helping us make better decisions. Like what Brene Brown says is, yes, shame says, shame and blame say, I'm stupid or you're stupid. Responsibility is a different thing. Responsibility says that was a mistake. You know, I own it. I'll fix it. Mm -hmm. But shame or blame. So I just encourage, I watch so many of my clients, especially couples deal with shame and blame issues for so long around. We should have bought more of that. We shouldn't have bought that. We shouldn't have started that business. We should have started that business. We property in the UK. I know it's everybody's favorite subject. You know, like we, I wish we would have bought more houses. Why didn't we almost did? I know my dad told us we should have done that. And we didn't like all of that language serves. So if the goal is to get better, have, make better decisions with money, have a better relationship, shame and blame. That's the other thing I wanted to get hats made on of was like, put on your no shame, no blame hats. It's time for us to talk about money. And he's going to go into a load of spinoff merchandise here with the hats <laughs> and they, uh, that's a good, it, that in itself is a great business. Finally, um, there is a, 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 a sketch of a, of a circle, of a cycle rather. At the top, it says, talk about money. At the bottom, it says, try again. And it's a loop with arrows saying, take you around this cycle. This again is uh, couples talking about money. And I, I believe you asked your mailing list, is it hard for you to talk about money with your spouse? And the answers that came out were quite surprising. Yeah, that's really funny. Um, I just actually talked about this on my my new podcast, Fifty Fires. My wife agreed to be a guest, so we talked about this story. <laughs> um, yeah, so I sent out this email to you know forty five thousand people and said, you know, is it hard for you to talk about money with a spouse? Just answer yes or no. And I was just looking to get a 
temperature reading and there was all of these yeses, yes, 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 yes. I mean, thousands of replies. And I read every reply. So I was scrolling through all these replies and then there was this one that said, yes, it's really hard. It feels like blame and it feels like I don't make enough or or why are you always spending? And it was, it was like some really, I was like, oh, wow, that sounds really hard. And I got to the bottom and it was signed the spouse. And I looked up at the, <laughs> I looked up at the address and it was my wife's email address. <laughs> so I remember, I remember going straight home and being like, Hey, what? Like, and you know, that was probably 12 or 15 years ago. And if you want to hear how it turned out, you can listen to the, the interview she did with me on my new podcast. But yeah, it's, it turns out it's hard. It's hard. Mm. And here's the, the point of that sketch though, was we could have, look, my parents were divorced when I was eight. We could have ended the tough conversations about money, just ended the marriage, right? But my encouragement mm -hmm. is it's going to be clumsy because no one taught you how to do it. And I know it's true in the UK like it is here. Yeah. It's true all over the world. No one taught us how to talk about money. So prepare to be clumsy. Give each other grace. Put on the no shame, no blame hats, but keep going. Because if you, if you don't, there's only two alternatives. You become sort of business partners living in the same house. Or you're no longer married. Yeah. I don't like. I don't like either of those. I don't like either of those alternatives. Well, being no longer married, uh, in my observation, tends to start another big conversation about money, and it's not a fun one. So that's exactly right. That's not. That's not one to go for. So, which of these diagrams should I get as a tattoo on the inside of my wrist then to remind me to do it? I Bro think behavior versus everything else would be quite a good one. Or the uh, focus diagram, which are the things that matter, things you can control. Yes. The top of the hour. The Absolutely. Uh, I think, yeah, maybe that one, one on the inside of one wrist and one on the inside of the other. Which one are you going to get, Andy? I like the one that basically ends up with you going bankrupt because we've mentioned <laughs> this on the pod podcast before when I yes. saw Professor Damodaran speak in Chicago last year and his message was to investors, don't fiddle with your investments because mm. you get it wrong. And what Carl's just said is perfect because that cycle of interfering and making bad mistakes can get rid of all of the gains and all the hard work. And it is sometimes difficult. It's challenging, but that is my favorite Carl's diagram. I love it. Yeah. Mm, Carl, you. I don't know if you're familiar with the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the great sort of science fiction series here in England became a big movie, yep. but there's a, a there's a, like a handheld guide to traveling the entire universe, every planet, every creature you could meet. And on the cover, it says, don't panic which is very good advice <laughs> under all circumstances, yep. financial and space travel. Yes, for sure. For sure. Carl, it's been fantastic talking to you. Th thanks for joining us. What are you up to next? Uh, what am I up to next? I've got another, yeah, some more recordings and then working on another book. And, and the podcast, the 50 Fires podcast has really been a big focus of mine lately. Great stuff. Okay, well, well, we'll drop a link to 50 Fires at the bottom of this one, and listeners can have a listen after they've listened to um, It's Your Money. Thanks for joining us, Carl. It's great to meet you. Yeah, cheers. So fun. Thank you. Thank you so much for attending, Carl. Yep. Andy, thanks for uh, th thanks for doing this. I'll see you again next month when I'll have my reminders tattooed on the inside of my wrist. We can compare tattoos next month. Absolutely. Listeners, thanks for joining us. Remember to follow It's Your Money on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever you use. You'll get the next edition coming to your phone automatically with a satisfying ping. Thanks for listening. See you next time. And don't forget to put your no shame, no blame hat on. Available now from Andy's website. 